Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malaki and the U.S. Editor of Waters, and I'm joined by James Rundle, our news editor. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to see space. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks at least since we've last yeah. spoken about it. At least 24 hours since I've edited or written a story about it. Yeah, exactly. And another one still to come. Um, And we're also going to look at the inter-dealer broker space as there's been a major shakeup there. Then at the end, on Wednesday at 10.30, before the England game uh, has kicked off against Croatia. So we, we know that there are some people in the audience that are going to want to know James' opinions about a potential final with England in it. Nobody or wants to know about my opinions, but hey, I've got a platform. So, the you know. crushing defeat of England and what that means to him. So we're going to try a little something. So right now the plan is, at the end of this, we'll cut out for a second, and we're going to come back live from the White Horse Tavern. Well, it'll, we'll, we'll be recording live from the White Horse Tavern. By the time you listen to it, will be Friday. It's possible that that will just go depending off the rails and we might just have to scrap it because it just won't be appropriate for a work environment but maybe you'll be okay we will see so you might hear some commentary on that if not then you'll just have to wait till next week to hear james's thoughts on the world cup results as opposed to predictions for the final the seaman have a heart attack before that point because i'm already pretty much a jangly bundle of nose right now so yeah. to get through to the final i'm not sure i'll survive <laughs> until sunday but you know so uh but let's start off with the news, do you want to go crypto first or Aaron Deal Broker Space first? So IDVs first. Okay. Um, yeah, so... Well, I guess, uh, so, uh, John, what's that? How do you pronounce his last John name? John Fizakali, known as the Fizz. Fizakali, the Fizz. CEO yeah. of TPI Cap. Uh, he was ousted as costs, uh, technology costs and the like, have started to spiral uh, as a result of, I guess, Brexit and just regulatory yeah. factors. Method 2 and, and technology as well. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think it went from... Being a relatively small amount to, I think next year they said the cost is going to be something like 25 million they hadn't accounted for okay. um, for that. So 10 million this year, 25 million next year is a huge jump. Um, what, so what does this, I guess, what does this mean then for the inner dealer broker sector? You know, kind of walk us through kind of why this is happening, what this might be pointing toward for the future. Yeah. So I mean, it's interesting, the IDB space, um, you know, that was kind of the center of the city of London for a long time. Um, IDB is obviously... As the name suggests, arrange trades between dealers, uh, between banks. They kind of, you know, find the counterparties for hard-to-work trades and whatsoever, and that's where they earn their commission. Um, they've had a bit of a tough time since the financial crisis, I guess. You know, interest rates have been perennially low. Um, banks have kind of stepped back from their roles as warehouses of risk and market makers due to uh, capital constraints, uh, regulatory requirements, and everything else as well. And all that's really hit the sector. Um, so you've seen a lot of consolidation over the last few years. 2016, um, obviously BGC bought GFI, um, and then you had the TP ICAP merger as well. And ICAP, which was the largest world, well, the world's largest entity broker at the time, became Next Group. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an interesting deal. It kind of it points into two different kind of outlooks, I guess, on where the IDB sector was going to go. So Mike Spencer, um, who ran ICAP, uh, very much put his um, money on the electronic side of things. So he believed technology was the future. Um, he believed electronic markets were the future. Not the primarily voice-driven um, IDB markets of old, which were full of your kind of stereotypical um, brokers, like your Essex boys and that kind of thing. Not your typical slick bankers, but your kind of rough and tumble guys yeah. who like to pick up the phone and get in the middle of it. 
um, throw chairs around when things went wrong. Um, you know, take bankers out for models and bottles and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, World Cup uh, seats and stuff. World like Cup seats and stuff like that. Yes, uh, <laughs> as we've found this year, that's not in the case anymore. Um, and so I think Michael Spencer thought it was going to go electronic, so he started Next, um, which became pretty much a fintech vendor that ran some markets as well with EBS. And as we saw recently, he's now been gobbled up by CME as well. Uh, John Vizakali took the other approach. He kind of bought the voice-breaking business from ICAP. Um, he doubled down on the fact that he thought that the hybrid market, at least, and the means of execution would be here to stay, and there would always be a place for the voice. Um, interesting that, you know, four years after he joined and two years after the merger, he's now out. Um, I'm not sure what it means for, for TPI cap itself, which is now the world's largest IDB, but I think it, uh, it definitely points to a changing of the guard, I think, in a lot of ways. I mean, the, the TPI cap deal itself was done in very traditional London style. It was done over long, boozy lunches with Michael Spencer's wine yeah. cellar. Um, you know, blokes in pinstripe suits agreeing it with a gentleman's handshake and that kind of thing. Um, now the IDBs, if you've got sort of your BGC run by Howard Lutnick, um, you know, the kind of American analog, the hard-charging broker, um, investment banker, and you have tradition, and you have TPI cap, but the field is narrowing, and also these big personalities that used to inhabit it are now disappearing as well. Yeah. So, is, yeah. is there, from what you understand, and I was talking with maybe your sources, is there a way for a firm that has bet so much on voice broking space to continue on in this hybrid model as it seems like we're going to continue to move more and more away from that as electronification you know takes hold as you know regulatory yeah. as market swings kind of uh, are still violent is there a way to adjust the ship do you think or do you think that these are just dinosaurs that are just walking the earth now if you'd have asked me this last year i would have said yes absolutely i think you know, electronic is the future but it was funny when i was in um when i was in Boca this year a lot of the talk wasn't necessarily about whether electronic will replace voice or whatever, whether voice will continue. A lot of it was how this new kind of hybrid feature is emerging thanks to um, enablement through fintech. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what people like Green Key Technologies and stuff are doing, where they're kind of transcribing voice to uh, to electronic text and that kind of thing, is really helping out the set. So I do think there is a future, but I do think also that, um, you know, we've seen that interest rates have been slow to recover. Um, we've seen that banks have been constrained in their ability to make markets, um, whether that's in fixed income and bonds or in derivatives or anything else, and that's not really going away. Um, there is a kind of a new normal here, and maybe the space that the IDBs used to inhabit, which was very much fertile ground, there is only a small hunting ground now for a few people to survive. Mm. Um, whether you see further consolidation, I'm not sure. I don't know if there is much room for further consolidation between yeah, people unless monopolies, the, the monopolies yeah, happen, right, exactly. Yeah. But um, no, I think there is still room for TBI cap strategy, but um, what they need to do is, I think, re-engineer the business and wake up to the fact that markets have changed and there needs to be um, a spreading out of technology, there needs to be a spreading out of what you do for Brexit and how you react to changing markets a little bit quicker, perhaps, than they have done in the past. And I guess that's what they're doing by replacing um, replacing the CEO and their chairman's retiring at the end of this year as well, so it's a full change in the guard at TBI. The name of replacement CEO? Yeah, it's the head of broking... Um, uh, I've forgotten the man's name, Nicholas Bertrand, I think, um, who has taken over as CEO. Um, They haven't named a new chairman yet, I don't think, but he's retiring at the end of the year. Um, So, yeah, still space, but really interesting to watch the space as a kind of a bellwether for how much markets have changed since the crisis, I guess. Um, You know, that's been the hardest hit and see what happens in the future. Okay, very good. And then, I guess, really have 
as has been happening over the last couple of weeks, there's been some interesting developments in the crypto space that we wanted to hit on. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be a long show. We, again, we've got England coming up. There's a lot of work that's got to get done before then. So you know, <laughs> we're kind of blasting through this week. Uh, you get the short and skinny of the news. But so there's a Vanek um, with the help of SolidX is, has applied uh, to, for a Bitcoin ETF to be listed on SIBO. Um, yeah. This is not SIBO, as has been reported in some outlets. I was going to say, this has been kind of a bit sketchily reported, isn't it, by, yeah. by the crypto trade press. I yeah. Think it's, yeah. So this would be a Bitcoin ETF listed on SIBO. Um, I spoke, so there's going to be an article coming out. Uh, I'll be writing it tomorrow, uh, Thursday. You'll be listening to this on Friday. Yeah. Again, we have the Waters rankings on Thursday, hence why we're kind of our schedule's a little bit off today. But so, but I did get to speak with some of the folks at SolidX, and for them, a big piece of this was an appeal toward institutional traders. I think uh, two hundred thousand uh, shares is the minimum. Um, yeah, and that's what, what your contact said, right? They're kind of they're clearly aiming this at the institutional sector and not at the retail because the the buy-in is so high. Yeah. So, so. Um, I guess, do you, from, sorry, there's things moving in the office now. Um, <laughs> is this, why maybe is this the right time for Bitcoin ETFs? You know, as the future space is only just beginning right now, is growing right now, is there, why this kind of push to really kind of get this off the ground launched? Well, I think a lot of this stems from what uh, William Hinman said from the SEC a few months, uh, well, maybe not a few months ago, but definitely several weeks ago now, um, where he kind of very clearly said that Bitcoin and Ether and, and all these kind of cryptocurrencies individually taken on their own aren't securities. Yeah. Um, that was always the big kind of stumbling block for getting these things off the ground in a lot of ways. Um ETFs have been tried before. Um, obviously, the Winklevoss twins and BATS, uh, which later became a SIBO, cooperated on a ruling, which is, I think, under review by the SEC right now. NASDAQ Nordic is also listed in exchange-traded note. Um, I think that was the XBT provider note. Um, they've been doing that for several years now. Um, is this the right time? Has the needle moved sufficiently? I mean, I don't think so, not necessarily. There have definitely been improvements in the cryptocurrency kind of ecosystem mm-hmm. since um, the first Winklevoss application. Uh, in terms of custody offerings, obviously you have Coinbase come out with some of their own things. There's been uh, growing interest from some ETF custodians as well, although no one's actually come out with a full service yet. Whether it, it has a chance of succeeding more than the, uh, the Winklevoss one, I don't know. I really don't. I don't think the the market landscape has shifted sufficiently enough to, um, to convince me yet. Um, so I spoke with uh, John Highland at uh, Bitwise Investments. Uh, he's well known. In, I don't have his title in front of me. Um, well known in the ETF space. Uh, he was brought over specifically to. He's one of these big time ETF guys that was brought over to help shepherd um, Bitcoin or crypto ETFs. And he, so his quote was: He said that. The, the two changes that they made to the application, so the 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 um, institutional uh, uh, push, he said it, it seemed to him to be a bit of a gimmick. Um, he's not sure if the SEC goes for it as a major step forward. And then he said, uh, the more curious proposal to self-custody, but by some level of insurance, that will likely give the SEC even more pause 
The details of the insurance and the filing do not inspire me with confidence, and it is not and exactly why, why like... Why would you need it, to do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? That's not how ETFs generally do it. Yeah. yeah. And this is the problem with the crypto space, I find, is that they you have these ardent advocates and saying, yes, we have to make these ETFs and we have to do these futures and we have to create these special structures for them to be around. Why? You know, if they can't operate in the same way as other financial products which are regulated and safe, mm -hmm. why should they be allowed to happen? I don't get it. It's, I mean, there are some arguments for, in some instances, like futures, for instance, where maybe there should be different risk management principles applied. But again, if the instruments are that risky that they need different default funds and they need different insurance for an ETF side things, should they be allowed to trade? I mean, if they're inherently risky to that extent, yeah. should they be allowed? I mean, I don't know. And the other thing, though, that John was saying, though, is that, so when he said that in 2013, uh, he was running a United States Commodity Funds, the issuer of the largest oil ETF, uh, USO, and the CTF, UNG, uh, as well as others. And in 2013, he was considering doing a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, he said that pass uh, because the ETF ecosystem would not support it. He does feel that that has changed. Mm -hmm. um, so just going through some of the things that uh, there's enhanced uh, regulated trading. Um, the number of major ETF market making shops are setting up crypto trading desks. So there's an ecosystem that's kind of being out there. Um, and then the custody, uh, the custody space is maturing, has matured. To the point where maybe now we're, we are getting to the point where the ETF space is ready to go. So I guess that there is some movement. And I would say that the guy from uh, SolidX, um, I don't have the name in front of me. Again, I apologize. <laughs> but, um, it's you'll, you'll, read it in the, you'll read it in the article. You'll read it in the article. But I also noted that the SEC is going to take eight months. I said they'll take about eight months to decide on this application. And they expect them to take, they expect the SEC to take the full eight months. So I would mean that that would go that they would make the decision by February 2019. At that point, there would be over 18 months of derivatives data um, to be able to build off of. Um, so he said that's kind of the other thing. It's just the maturing of the space as a whole, moving the timeline just a little bit down. That that will be one of the things that might help their cause as well. So I, I yeah. it's still very nice and still very interesting. But I think one of your, your sources made the point about um, international. Uh, potential arbitrage, right? As well, yeah, Zach Hamilton that, you know, at uh, Airfoil. Yeah, just saying that um, you know maybe they might look to other jurisdictions. I know the Bahamas, for instance, is trying to tout itself as a big crypto-friendly mm -hmm. um, jurisdiction right now. Um, Binance moved there, I think, um, or they moved to somewhere around that region. <laughs> um, I don't see that personally as being too much of an issue. I think you know the largest markets are in the U.S. If you don't comply with U.S. regulation, you ain't going to get substitute compliance from the CFTC or anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, God help you when the Europeans get involved with their equivalence thing as well. Um, so if you do want to attract the big scale institutional investors, they need to be US compliant. So I don't see that as being a particular issue. Yeah. I guess the other big announcement in the space was that um, FINRA put out a notice that basically encourages firms, it's, it's uh, participants, it's affiliates, uh, to notify FINRA if they engage in activities related to, to digital assets. So um, this is from FINRA. Notice uh, each firm to promptly notify FINRA if it or its associated persons or affiliates currently engages or intends to engage in any activities related to digital assets such as cryptocurrencies and other virtual coins and tokens. Um, one source uh, uh, said that uh, <laughs> I think they are using crypto as the boogeyman for anything and everything. <laughs> um, so they're... 
again, and this is just as best I can understand, it's just a regulatory notice, but it's not a full action or anything like that. So no. they're encouraging um, to get ahead of the curve. But I, it, and it's FINRA, it's not the SEC or the CFTC. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see if that has any uptake, but or just see if this is the first, you know, kind of just test balloon almost in some ways for the space to I'm kind of keep move pushing. Forward. I mean, I, I don't see, but he's not involved with this, but one of the things they immediately pounced on. Um, when William Hillman uh, made his determination yeah. about the thing was, oh, well now, now we can do Litecoin and now we can do Ether and we can do all the rest of it. Um, so people are going to keep pushing the boat, I guess. And yeah, in some ways it's good, people doing this kind of thing, because it allows these issues to be debated in a manner that allows the SEC to set precedent and construct legal arguments around whether it should be allowed or should not be allowed. You know, whether in the easier space, whether, you know, 33 Act or 40 Act places are the right place for them and that kind of thing as well. You yeah. Know? Um, and I think, you know, just because I guess is one other maybe interesting. So is this also, all right, let's say Bitcoin, you know, at some point that this ETF happens mm-hmm. or the, a Bitcoin ETF happens, you know, does that kind of open a door for things like Litecoin and Ether? Um, again, Zach Hamilton from Airfoil, he was saying that any asset liquid enough could conceivably work. And he said, I would look at Gemini for what uh, could come next. He views them as uh, leaders in the space in his eyes, especially with their ZEC listing. So we're not near there yet, no. but it is something to kind of maybe start reading the tea leaves now. Well, let's uh, turn off the phone. That's now. good. Yeah. Right. All right. Um, well, we apologize for that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so that's about it. Let's just end on that. Right end on I that, think. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe we'll bring you some stuff for the bar afterwards. Maybe yeah. not. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. You'll either hear music and we will play into uh, Live from the White Horse, or you'll hear music and it'll cut off. Yeah. And either we'll be see. me crying and sobbing, mm-hmm. or it'll be me screaming, throwing my English shirt around my head. Or just being arrested. Or I'm both. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. Tune in. Let's see, uh, let's see if we're here in a couple seconds or if we're back next week. Thanks. Hi, so now I'm here with my boy James. It's been about two hours since the end of the game. James, have you you had some time to think about this loss? What do you think now? Well, that I'm love would have been set off in the first half like it should have been. Not to mention the times they really went so far against England. Maybe been a different game, Tony. Come back next week and we'll be here with the Waters Wave Life podcast. <laughs>